And he went and served in India for, for 41 years. Um, he's known as the, the, the father of modern missions. And, and he, he just poured himself in bringing the gospel into this region of, of, of India. He, in those, those years, it's approximately 700 people came to know Christ. That, that, that may not seem like that much in 41 years, but what a work God has done in that country to bring people to salvation even ever since. 700 people. His epitaph read this, William Carey, born August 17th, 1761, died on June 9th, 1834. And then it says this, a wretched, poor, and helpless worm on thy kind arms I fall. What a way to view himself. <laughs> a wretched, poor, and helpless worm. And on thy kind arms I fall. Us. Wretched, poor, and helpless worms. And yet, what a thing it is to fall into the kind arms of our Savior. A God who loves us as He does. One of the things that William Carey is known most for is something that he would say over and over again. It came from one particular sermon that he preached. But one of the things that he had said was, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. When you have a view of God and His greatness and in His sovereignty and a God who works in such a way that there's nothing that's too hard for Him and His Holy Spirit who's able to change hearts, to soften hearts, whether it be at VBS or whether it be in Ethiopia or Uganda or India or wherever He calls us, we serve a God that is mighty and we serve a God who works in incredible ways and that we as a church would expect great things from Him and attempt great things for Him. We find that in Acts chapter 9 and verse 32 where there are great, great things that are taking place. Um, you take Paul who is converted and, and went from being a persecutor of Christians to being saved and seeing the risen Savior and all that God did in his heart to change all that he had thought about the gospel, all that he had thought about Christianity, all that he had thought about Christ to where he just says, like, consider the things of my life as, as rubbish in comparison to the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ. Just serving him with every bit of his being, pouring himself into the gospel, pouring himself into ministering to other people. You take Peter, who had denied Christ three times, and God saves him, and God brings him to, to, to restoration, and, and he sees the risen Christ, and you find in Peter's life just a, a passion for serving Christ for the rest of his life till the Lord takes him home. And this is where we come to in Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Peter comes back onto the scene. It came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Peter is going to all parts of the country. He's going all over the place to proclaim the gospel. 
1 Corinthians 9.5 tells us that Peter took his wife on his missionary journeys. Him and his wife would go, and they would just go wherever the Lord would take them. And in this particular case, he is now in Lydda. An area that, that you would know today, if you've ever been to Israel, you've been there because it's where the Tel Aviv airport is. That's that region. And so he goes there, and there, there he finds a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. Comes upon this man eight years. Whatever it is that happened to him, whether it had been a spinal injury or polio or some other disease that he, that he contracted, he has been bedridden for eight years. And Peter sees him and says to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And then he arose immediately. <laughs> Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Peter did that, didn't he? Arise. Why? Because Jesus the Christ heals you. Notice what he says. This, this isn't, I heal you. All of the glory goes to Christ. It's not a, a healing ministry of, of Peter so that he could have a gigantic house or have a private jet. This, this is someone who is just, this is, this is Christ that is doing this. All the glory goes to Christ for what's about ready to take place. You hear... Jesus say in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you could do nothing. He recognized that there was nothing that he could do apart from abiding in Christ. And if he did abide in Christ, there was going to be great fruit that came from his life. And one of the things that was great fruit that came from his life was that he says to a man that's been bedridden for eight years and paralyzed, arise, make your bed. Maybe that could be something we share with our kids each and every morning. <laughs> and if they do, it will be a miracle just like this. You find it where <laughs> Jesus the Christ heals you, arise, make your bed. He arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It, it, it uses a word like in all. The, the, there was a massive revival that took place in these particular cities, in this area. God is going to work just in mighty ways. Here's this man, bedridden from eight years, wondering why is this my lot in life? Why are things like this? Because God is going to glorify himself in incredible ways through his life. God's going to heal him. Jesus, the Christ, is going to heal him. He's going to stand up and he is going to walk. And the Lord will use this man's life to bring Lydda and Sharon and all who saw him turn to the Lord. We're not talking about small fruit that's occurring. This is a great work that's occurring. It would have been big enough if this man just got up and he walked. 
But how amazing is it that there are going to be thousands of people whose hearts are radically transformed who come to know Christ? In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus came and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. As we approach missions, as we approach VBS, as we approach all that God's called us towards, what an encouraging, strengthening, praiseworthy thing to know that all authority has been given to our Lord Jesus Christ. All of it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, which is today as well. He's with us. He has all authority. Go and make disciples of all the nations. From from this passage, we come to verse 36, where at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that, that Peter was there. And they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. And then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the, the widows stood by him weeping showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. We, we find the Lord again working in an incredible way. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for him. Here's this woman, Tabitha. Notice what it says about her. Always doing good. Another translation a woman abounding with deeds of kindness, always doing good, abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, always doing charitable deeds. What a reputation this woman has. Tabitha, always doing good, abounding in kindness. Charitable deeds that she did. And she dies. She becomes sick and she dies. We don't know her age. We don't know much about her. But what we know is that they had heard that Peter was in Lydda. So they sent two men saying, don't delay, come. So he goes. The widows are there and they're weeping. But they're showing the tunics and garments which... which Tabitha, or, or her other name would be Dorcas, means the same thing, had made while she was with them. So here's all of these garments, these clothes, and they're saying, look at what she's made for us. 
These women who are widows, these women who are poor, these women who have need, and they're saying, she was someone who's just abounding with kindness and charitable deeds, and look at all of these things that she's made for us. I mean, she's just she's poured herself into serving us and caring for us and loving us. We have a ministry at our church called Tabitha's Hands, in which the women of the church get together and they make these incredible quilts. And they tie the knots and they'll sit in the back and they pray as they go through and finish the quilt up and they pray together for one particular person in the church that is hurting in need has gone through something difficult ministering to him what i mean what a perfect name for the ministry tabitha's hands here it is tabitha just abounding with kindness and charitable deeds abounding in it and she passes away but God is going to do something incredible. They go and get Peter. He comes back. They're weeping. He asks them to leave the room. And he just says, just as Jesus had said to the little girl, Tabitha, arise. And what happens? She rises again from the dead. God's going to work in an incredible way. And it tells us that, that many... Many believed on the Lord. Not only in this woman's life was she used in incredible ways, but she was used in her death, and she was used as she was caused to be brought back to life through the work of the Lord in her life. These are extraordinary things. These, these aren't the normal things that would take place. These are extraordinary things that take place. But God is going to work mightily i pray that we would look at these things and that we too would have such a view of god that we would expect great things from him that we would just be the kind of people that when we think of god there's nothing that's too hard for him nothing but that we'd also attempt great things for him that we would have hearts that just say, I trust him and, and I want to serve him. There was a man that lived at the same time as William Carey. And his name is Adoniram Judson. He, he's known as, he has been known as the first missionary ever to leave the United States until um, they found a, a, a slave that, that had been freed and sent to Jamaica and so now we know that he was, he was the first missionary to leave the United States. But Judson was somewhere around the second missionary to leave the United States. But point being is they were within like 10 years of each other, and he came at that particular time of history. One of the first missionaries out of the United States. He wanted to go to India. That was what his heart was just set on. He... He met a, a, a woman by the name of Anne Hasseltine. And, and he said that he fell in love with her on the same day that he met her. We hear about that in youth ministry all the time. It usually doesn't work out well. <laughs> in this case, it did. And, and he, he fell in love with her the same day he met her. Um, but he, he wrote her father a letter. Listen to what he writes to her father. 
I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of, of perishing immortal souls? For the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness? brightened and acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. One of those letters dads aren't excited to get regarding their daughters. But yet at the same time, maybe you are. I mean, a heart that's in a place of, can you consent to this? Can you let me take your daughter and there's going to be dangers of oceans and want and distress and degradation and insult and persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to this? Her father said that she could make up her own mind. She could make up her own mind. So she did. She wrote to her friend Lydia Kimball and she says this, I am willing and expect if nothing in providence prevents to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. Heart. A heart that just says, I, I, I want to expect great things from God and I want to attempt great things from God and I'm going to leave my home here in America and I'm going to go across the ocean by boat and we are going to go to heathen lands and I will never see any of my family ever again. Ever again. So they went. It's amazing when you think of how God worked in this particular man's life, just to give you a little bit of background, which maybe you've heard before. But with Adonai Judson, he grew up as a pastor's kid. Grew up as a pastor's kid. And there came a point when he went away to Brown University that he was just stumbled incredibly by a guy named Jacob Ames and renounced his faith. Came and broke his parents' heart. Came back and said, I, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe in the gospel. I don't believe in any of these things. And just broke his parents' heart. He wandered about after leaving his parents there after college and just went about doing all that he was doing for the sake of the world. Jacob Ames had been the one that had influenced him the most, that God wasn't real, the gospel wasn't true, none of these things were true. And so he went about tutoring and doing his business and doing all these different things that he was doing came upon a hotel one night and they asked, he asked if there was a room that he could stay in. They said, there's one room, but you don't want to be in it because there's a guy in the next door room that's dying and it is horrible. Like, he, it, is, it is horrible to listen to. You don't want to be there. And he just said, I need a room. I need to sleep. 
Is there any way that I could just stay there? And he stayed there and he heard the anguish of this man all night long, driving him crazy as he was listening to this. The most pathetic state of anybody as he heard the just miserableness of this man throughout the night. And at some point in the night, he fell asleep and he woke up and there was no noise. And he went to the innkeeper and just said, is that man okay? I heard him all night. And they said, no, he died in the middle of the night. Can I ask you what his name was? Yes, it was Jacob Ames. He heard that man die in the most miserable way. And it was on that night that he got saved, on that day. I mean, just listening to what this man went through, who had led him away and said, I don't ever want to be that guy. From that point, he went to seminary. And from that point, he meets this girl and writes a letter to her father and heads off to India. In the midst of going to India, it worked out to where they would not accept any missionaries into the country at that particular time. And so he wanted to go someplace. And William Carey, who said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God, when Judson told him that he wanted to go to Burma, William Carey said, don't go there. Don't go there. They have a dictator there that is, he's ruthless. You will not like, make it through that. Don't go to that country. <laughs> Judson sort of said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. I don't know that he did, but he went to Burma. Took his wife. They went to Burma. In the time there in Burma, the first six years, there was not one convert to Christianity. Six years of ministering the gospel daily, learning the language, pouring himself into writing tracts, handing out thousands and thousands of tracts, sitting in a, in a little hut day after day, sharing the gospel with whoever would come and listen, not one convert for six years. And then a man gets saved. Mung Nao was his name. The Lord started working in his life and more and more people got saved. Um, but the church was still small. He came to a place where the England went to war with Burma, and at that point he got arrested. And for 17 months, he was tortured in the most brutal ways you could ever imagine. Hung upside down with just his shoulders and his face on the muddy soil, vermin all over his face, all kinds of stuff all over his body. Just brutal, brutal circumstances. Tortured in the most brutal ways. His wife, Anne, just daily would do everything she could that that he would have some kind of relief and and pregnant walking two miles a day to go visit her husband there in that in that prison he ends up um, in the midst of of all of it says to one of the prisoners that's that's with him if it's possible for my life to be spared With all my ardor, with all my passion, I will pursue my work. If not, his will be done. It is possible for my life to be spared, and if so, with all my passion, I will pursue my work. If not, his will be done. He said, the door will be open for others who would do the work better. If I die the door will be open for others to do the work better. But if God saves me from this, I will pursue my work with everything that I got. 
with passion, I'll do it. Um, Judson was released after 17 months. His wife passed away shortly after. Um, 11 months later, she died. Six months after that, their little baby daughter died. Judson had 13 children. Only six lived on past their childhood. 13 children, six lived. He was married three times. Both two of the first two wives died overseas. The last, his last wife died just three years after he passed away from tuberculosis. But he translated the Bible into that language. He just wanted 100 people to be saved before his death. By the time he passed away, there were over 100 churches. He had translated the entire Bible. He had written almost an entire Burmese English dictionary. There was over 8,000 believers. And at this time, there's four and a half million Christians in Burma, which is now called Myanmar. Four and a half million Christians. There's entire tribes in which almost the entire tribe of, of tribes like the Chin and the Chin and the, and the Karen are, are Christians. I, I went there several years ago, maybe 17 or 18, 16 or 17 years ago. And I fell in love with the church there. Running the air conditioner so people couldn't hear us talk or sing, singing quietly so that they wouldn't be persecuted, listening to person after person talk about the persecution that they've gone through. Brutal, brutal circumstances. Um, it has the largest Baptist population outside of the United States and India to this day. God worked mightily in that country. Um, Sewing Circle and Blue Letter Bible have been sponsoring a, a, or providing for an orphanage there in Myanmar for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. The, they, the, that country has been, it's, it's been just an absolute brutal place for these years to where they have not had groups come in at all. I mean, just, uh, they, they said that there's never been a woman that has gone to visit them. There's all these kids that are there um, at the orphanage. They've had several go through. I think there's over 15 that are there right now. And there's a couple other orphanages as well. Um, it has worked out to where um, they've asked our church to pray about being a part of serving there with that orphanage and being a blessing to them. And so in the last, gosh, days, we've decided our, our entire family is going to go there at the end of July. Um, Andy and Guastafaro, Pastor Andy and Eliza and Lucas are going to go as well. Janice is going to go. And one, one other person from someone's circle is going to, get, going to go. And the country's opened up in a way in the last year that it has not been opened up before. And if resources are provided, it, we're going to go to an, out, an outer area and do a pastor's conference. And we found out in the last couple of days it'll double the price of our trip, so it kind of affected us a little bit. But there's all these pastors that are in this area that want us to go and do a pastor's conference, minister there. But I love the idea of, I never thought my family would be able to join with me in going to Burma, Myanmar, to be able to go to that region 
and expect great things from God, to attempt great things for God. It's awesome. So from July 27th through August 11th, we'll be there in that same area. We read through Adonai Judson's biography over the last week, and then at the end of it, together as a family, we shared with the kids that you're going there. We're going there. It was awesome. Be able to think of the kids ministering the gospel in an area like that. What Judson would have thought of like families, churches, being able to go in this area. Four and a half million Christians in that country in which there were no believers. We need your prayers for that. Here in our passage before us this morning, God did great things. He has the ability to make someone who is bedridden for eight years walk. He has the ability to make somebody who is dead come to life, be raised from the dead. He has the ability to make it so that all who are in Lydda and Sharon come to believe in Christ. He has the ability to use the resurrection of Tabitha to bring many in that land to the Lord. He has the ability in a place like Burma that has that forced all missionaries out from 1955 until just recently to cause the church to grow from none. Well, from the time Judson got there to four and a half million today. Awesome, awesome God that we serve. He has the ability to take you who are abounding in kindness and charity, abounding in kindness and charity, to be used in such a way to radically impact all those that are around you. He has the ability to to take us and to use us in the proclamation of the gospel because we serve a God who has all authority on heaven in heaven and on earth, all authority has been given to him. We have such confidence as we go forth and proclaim the gospel to the kids here at VBS and even to the uttermost parts of the world. Do we see him like that? I mean, when you read passages like this and you look and you're like, he made someone. Peter just tells the guy, Jesus Christ has healed you. Get up. Tabitha, arise. And he makes things like this occur, and he changes hearts. He does that. I pray that whatever place you have been in your life and in your ministry, if you have not been expecting great things from God, if you have not been attempting great things for God, May that radically change this morning. If you look at your marriage and you look at your circumstances and you work at your, look at your life or you look at your finances or you look at your ministry or you look at what God's called you towards and, and you look at all these things and you expect nothing from God, your view of God is far too small. Expect great things from Him. But at the same time, Put feet on it and attempt great things for him. Peter and Paul and those in the early church, you see this confidence in their Savior. They have seen the risen Christ. They know who he is. 
They know what he's done, and it changes everything for them. Their confidence in Christ is at such a level that it's, wife, come with me, let's go, and let's minister the gospel wherever it is that we go. If we're in Lydda and people come saying, come to Joppa because someone died there, let's go. We'll get up right now. Let's go. And they go. And then God brings massive revival in that particular area. I mean, you talk about areas that are closed or you talk about areas that are hard. You got to figure in this entire region in which Christ has died and just recently risen from the dead. And the early church is there and people are haters of Christ. God is doing miraculous things in bringing people to salvation. I pray that we would be those that pray in such a way of those that have a gigantic view of who God is. And then when we evaluate our lives, that we would be those that attempt great things for him. Not so that we could be exalted, but that Christ would be exalted. That we'd see people come to know Christ because we think that way. Um, There's lots to pray about for us as a church. Thank you for allowing me as one of your pastors to be able to go for some weeks this summer and to serve in such a way with my family. Um, But I pray that that it would be us doing this together as a church. There were some students that came to Charles Spurgeon's church years and years ago, obviously. And uh, someone came up to him and said, do you want to see how the, the heating apparatus works in our church? And they didn't want to be rude. So they said, yeah, we'll see how the heating system works in your church. So he took them down to the basement. And down in the basement, there were 700 Christians praying And he said, this is the heating apparatus of our church. This changes everything for us. Those students found out later that it was Charles Spurgeon that took them down to that basement to show them the 700 saints that were praying. But God was doing a mighty work because it was through the prayers of the saints and he was getting all the glory. They were calling upon him. They were depending upon him. They were trusting in him to do great things. And he did. May that be us. Be a part of the heating apparatus of this church over this next week with VBS, over the summer with missions, and even right now as there's people that are sitting in this congregation and kids who are in children's ministry. May God do awesome, awesome things in our hearts. He's able and he's willing. And we love to be a part of him exalting himself. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this account and acts of what you accomplished. working through Peter and ministering to these people. Working in such a way that even his heart was changed. And we're told that that, that after all these things, he went and lived with a tanner who was one that handled dead animals and leather and one that the Jews would never have been a part of being around. But Peter, who was once full of legalism, was radically changed when you called him to be a fisher of men. And so he lived with Simon the Tanner. He was a fisher of men when he ministered to this man who was bedridden. He was a fisher of men when he ministered to Tabitha. He was a fisher of men when him and his wife went wherever you called them to go to proclaim the gospel. And it was you, through the strength of your Holy Spirit, that caused that to happen and caused the fruit to come from his life. 
Because apart from you, he could do nothing. Nothing. And neither can we. Like William Carey, we are wretched, poor, and helpless worms. And yet on thy kind arms, we fall. May we fall there this morning into the kind arms of our sovereign Lord and Savior. And in it all, may we expect great things from you and may we attempt great things for you. And may we watch you work in incredible ways. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.